Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Welcome back to Peace, Love, and Baseball, my friends. I'm your host, Kaber Tweets. Hey, we've had a lot of fun lately with special guests in the last few episodes. We talked Cubs with Justin from Baseball and Whatever. We went head-to-head with Aaron and Lisa at the Brewers Babes podcast. And, of course, last week we celebrated opening day with Wes and Pitzer with some fun on-site coverage. Week two of the season is officially in the books, and I hope you're enjoying it. I really do. Now, I know many of you listening are St. Louis Cardinals fans, like me, and so I'm I'm just going to cut to the chase. I'm just going to say it. The vibes are off. We hear this term a lot these days. Vibe, vibes, vibing. Personally, I'm very big on vibes, so... You will likely hear me or see me using it a lot on social media. But what does it really mean? That's what I'm here to tell you today. A vibe used as a noun is going to be defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as a distinctive feeling or quality capable of being sensed. So if you were to use it in context, you might comment on like the interaction between umpire Ryan Wills who was staring into the eyes of Madison Bumgarner on the Diamondbacks last season as he checked his hands just a a little too long, checking him for the sticky stuff. Yeah, that had a weird vibe. It's a weird vibe. That's a vibe. A vibe as a verb, or vibing, if you will, is defined as to be in harmony or to convey a sense of. Again, used in a sentence... Or in context, you might say that by the way the Brewers scored 19 runs to the Mets' zero runs in the first couple games at home for them this season, that their offense has been really vibing, specifically versus Scherzer and the $384 million Mets. My God, I love to see it. Not as great for us Cardinal fans a few days later, when they kept the vibes pretty high against us there at American Family Field. But you get what I'm saying. The vibes in the Cardinals clubhouse are just, they're off. Peace, Love, and Baseball is brought to you today by Validity. Hey, are you a fan of indie pop rock? Maybe a little touch of Ben Folds, Mika, some Jukebox the Ghost? Then you need to check out Validity, the musical project by talented vocalist and instrumentalist Wesley McKinney. His latest album is called Indivisible, and it's now streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you listen to your music. It's a must-listen for anybody who loves upbeat melodies, catchy lyrics, good vibes, you know what I'm saying? But what makes Validity truly special is how McKinney is going to seamlessly blend his passion for music with all of his other loves and different levels of creativity and all the good vibes. He's got it. He is not just a musician. He's a well-rounded artist who knows how to stay active and inspired. So whether you need to turn around those vibes in the clubhouse at Bush Stadium 
whether you're going to the gym and you need to just get a little pumped up, a little maybe a little motivated to clean up around the house, got to put some tunes on, Validity has something for you. Tune into his music and let Wesley McKinney take you on a journey of self-discovery and fun. Nothing but good vibes here, I promise. Don't miss out on this rising star. Stream Indivisible today. Is there any other way to really explain what we've watched for five out of the last six games? I mean, overall from the St. Louis Cardinals, other than the vibes are off. No, not really. I know a lot of people will say that the vibes, the vibes aren't off. That's not it. It's the starting pitching. It sucks. And now, listen, I don't disagree with you that the starting pitching is perhaps an area of concern thus far, an area of opportunity, if you will. But here's where I got to point out that in the last last five out of the six games that they played, where they lost, they scored an average of only 1.6 runs, where their opponents scored an average of 5.4 runs. So, I mean, it's a pretty decent gap, but it's not like massive. It's not like they were losing by five or more runs in these games. And what's even worse is that they had plenty of chances that were just total missed opportunities. So, so far this season with the bases loaded, the Cardinals are 0 for 8. That means they've had the bases loaded 8 times and went 0 for 8. Four times they struck out with the bases loaded. There was just one sacrifice fly, so we did get one single RBI in 8 times. 16 runners in scoring position just in those instances where the bases were loaded. 15 did not score. Vibe check. Even in the Saturday night win against the Brewers, you know, it didn't have that feel of a good old-fashioned team win. It was a J-Money and Arenado win. Like, let's be honest. Jordan Montgomery, awesome. Arenado had a big, iconic career hit. Scored some good runs, made some good stuff happen, but it just wasn't that collaborative effort that you're used to seeing, especially from a team like the Cardinals. Now, I'm a big gut feeling kind of gal. I consider myself to be quite decisive, and it's very rare for me to have trouble making a decision or to like feel uneasy about a decision that I have made. Because first of all, I'm very logical. I weigh everything as objectively as possible, and I consider everything carefully, But I also just have gut feelings about things. And I can confidently say that it has never steered me wrong. I consider myself to be very intuitive to other people's energy and to pick up on all of that pretty quickly. Doesn't take me long to read a room. I tell you this because to me, as hippy-dippy as like vibes or energy may seem, it is undoubtedly real and... To be perceptive to it can be huge. I do think that we are part of a society and a generation that strives to make things in general as objective as possible. And I'm all for that to a certain extent. But we want things to be black and white, and they just aren't. That's not human. We cannot continue to try to take the human element out of things. We have to acknowledge that human element because if we don't acknowledge it and act accordingly, that's when the vibes 
are off. So we actually talked about this on one of our episodes a bit with our esthetician guest, Katie, when she was describing creating her own space and how part of her want to run her own business was wanting to have the autonomy to create the experience that clients have within her space. Vibes. Vibes, y'all. That's what she's talking about. Think about a business or a place that you would recommend to a friend or a family member. What is it about that place that makes it somewhere that you would recommend? It's probably somewhere that delivers a great product or a service that you're searching for, but it's likely also a place that creates an environment that makes you feel a certain way when you were there and even after you leave. Vibes. The best compliment that I can hear from a customer at a business that I am running is something like, I don't know what it is about this place, but I just really love coming here. Good energy, good juju, call it what you want. The vibes are on point. So what happened to create such a disruption in the force for the St. Louis Cardinals? Well, if you're following baseball at all, surely you've picked up on the uh, scuffle, shall we call it, between manager Ollie Marmel and our left fielder slash center fielder Tyler O'Neill. And, you know, we're going to get into that today for sure. That has most definitely thrown a wrench in the vibes. If you're not caught up, let me give you my cliff notes. Basically, O'Neal was sent home. He was running from second, trying to get to home and score on a ball that was hit straight to right fielder for the Atlanta Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. He was thrown out at home as the final out of the inning by quite a substantial amount, as Acuna has one of the best outfield arms in the game of baseball, and his throw was right on point. Ali Marmol then says post-game to the media that Tyler O'Neill was not giving it his best effort, said that was that's that's pretty clear, and it was unacceptable. He was actually he was pretty brutal about it, like it was so obvious that O'Neill was just totally dogging it, when I think we'll all agree on this part anyway, that clearly the third base coach should not have sent Tyler O'Neill home on that play. Like, they're down by three runs. It's not the difference maker. There's two outs. Anyway, he was going to be thrown out regardless. So it got all dragged out because moments later, like literal moments later, our bro, Tyler O'Neill is swarmed by the media in the clubhouse. Like, duh, let's go get his side of it. And he was like, of course I was giving it my best effort. That's what I do. That's how I got to the major leagues. I play my ass off. I always want to score the run, etc." I'm paraphrasing, but you get the point. So Marmol stands strong in this take uh, the next day with the media, making it clear and referencing that O'Neill is not in the lineup this is the next day, as uh, he did not earn the right to play that day from his lack of effort the day prior. O'Neill then says that it was a scheduled day off that was discussed with him days prior. So yeah, I mean, who even really knows? But he also shares that he doesn't appreciate his character being in question. Duh, who would? And that he thinks these kind of conversations could and should be had privately and not aired out in the media. You think? I guess before we get too far into this, I ask you to kind of put this in the context for yourself of any other work scenario, right? Consider 
that you had a team presentation and afterwards your boss called you out in front of everyone saying that you didn't do your part and give it your best effort, but he's just like talking to people around the office about it. And then they're coming to you and being like, we heard he said this about you. Like, what do you think? You know what I mean? Like put it in a frame of reference for yourself that is like your work scenario because this is their work. It is their job. And I think a lot of times in the way that we talk about them and the way that we treat them and the things that we say about them, it's just like so inhuman and so out of context of a work environment. And they deserve to have a respectful, safe work environment the same way that anybody else does. So that's initially where my the, the taste in my mouth from that interaction is coming from. And I invite you to consider it the same way. Okay, so we'll get a little more into the nuance of all of that in our main topic of discussion today. But on top of that, our main vibes guys, Lars Newtbar and Adam Wainwright, are also on the injured list. Waino is not on the road trip, or at least he was definitely not in Milwaukee. Another thing that I think is worth mentioning is that we surely have to consider here how different Ollie's role is in his second year managing without Yadier Molina in the clubhouse. When you have a franchise catcher for two decades strong, it was probably at least somewhat strategic to bring in a young manager with less experience last year to match the dynamic that would allow Yadier Molina to do his thing in leading, maybe even more so in behind the scenes and then on the field as well. So I don't want to spend too much time weighing all of that, but it's something that I've thought about quite a bit in the past few weeks and in reading and hearing other discussions and opinions around Ali Marmol and his behaviors and his decisions. I know that there's plenty to consider when it comes to Marmol's decisions in terms of lineups, pinch hitters, use of pitchers, etc. But that that's not what we're here to discuss today. And here's why. Whether we like it or not, Major League Baseball is in its analytics era. Teams are more and more likely to hire managers with less experience who can often be like easily disposable if they aren't yes men that the front office wants them to be. And that's certainly something that I do recall hearing a lot of fans having an opinion on when Ollie was initially hired, was that he was just going to be this yes man for them. We actually touched on a good example of this in our astrological regular season recap of the 2022 season. That was back in episode five. If you want to just scroll back, give it a listen. But we talked about the firing of the Angels manager, Joe Madden, last season. Now, Mark Tompkin of the Tampa Bay Times reported on this, and I'm just going to read this one line from his report on it to kind of make my point here, but he said that Madden made it clear that he does not miss the game, or at least not the analytics-driven front office-run version of it that it has become in most places. And he would have to find an absolutely correct situation to manage again. This is Joe Madden, y'all. He was a major league manager for 16 years. And you want to talk about vibes? This is the guy who led the 2016 Cubs to their first World Series win in 108 years. So what I'm getting at here is that you can question Ollie's in-game decisions all you want, but the nature of the game these days is very heavily weighed in on by the front office. 
yeah, the guys who have all the money get to make the decisions. Sound familiar? So with the use of analytics and sabermetrics in today's game, there is a lot less leeway given to the manager to ultimately be the one that's making these decisions. So for better or for worse, most executives are putting a lot of value on what they can easily measure. This is not a new concept in business. And they don't need a manager or a coach to explain those things to them. So that's why we're not going to talk about like Marmel's use of certain players over others and all that good stuff because in all honesty, I'm not sure all of that or any of that is even up to him to a certain extent. But I'll tell you what is up to him and what a manager's job is and has to be now more than ever. And that is creating a team culture, getting the most out of the players, and being the best coach and leader for their team of players and coaches. Now, I'm also not saying that this is an easy job. Hell, if it was easy, we'd have a lot more people up for those top-tier coaching jobs across the board, right? So by no means, as we get further into our discussion on coaching and leadership today, do I want it to come off as if I think Ali Marmel has an easy job. No. Now, I do think that it is somewhat simple, but simple is not always easy. In fact, many of the most impactful things in life are simple but not easy. I could apply that phrase to so many different things right now, but it really strikes a chord when it comes to leadership, and that's what we're going to get into just a little bit today. I'd like to think of this as sort of an introduction to this topic because it's a big one, and I hope to elaborate on it with guests on the episodes in the future, and it's a topic that I'm particularly high on myself. I have read dozens of different leadership books, listened to lots of podcasts, and have been in a number of different leadership roles over the years, and really we all have. If you have ever been a teammate, a parent, a teacher, a coworker, you are a leader. And we are going to talk about leadership more in regards to the work environment today, as we ultimately tie it in with the little Ollie Marmel and the Cardinals drama. But there are so many ways that we are called upon as leaders in this life. So let's kick it off with some listener feedback. I asked you all to share what leadership means to you. What are words that you think of when you think of a good leader? There were a lot of great words and descriptions used, but the ones that came up the most were words like integrity, trustworthy, and transparency. I lump these together because they're all somewhat similar. Transparency was actually the word that was probably the most used overall, and I found that to be so interesting. It's a very specific word, but... It does encompass many parts of being a good leader, and being transparent is a big part of upholding integrity and being trustworthy. Having the discretion to be appropriately transparent, particularly in a professional setting, is something that I value greatly, and I definitely agree that it is one of those very valuable soft skills. So a large majority of the skills and characteristics of being a great leader revolve around soft skills. If you're not familiar with the term, soft skills is defined as abilities that soft skills are like the abilities that relate to how you work and interact with other people. So this includes like communication, teamwork, other interpersonal skills. 
And they're often hard to teach, but quite necessary, especially for long-term success. They are also hard to measure, and therefore they can be undervalued, I think, by a lot of people and in a lot of situations. In the same way that we were saying that sabermetrics and analytics can be overvalued because of their measurability this day and age. Okay, so back to other words and or actions, I suppose, that were commonly shared by you in regards to good leadership were showing appreciation, genuinely valuing others' opinions and efforts, so being collaborative, building relationships, good communication, and R-E-S-P-E-C-T, respect, y'all. Great feedback, and I thank those of you for sharing. We'll definitely refer back to some of those words and characteristics to further our discussion today. I want to share a story now that was submitted by Stephanie, who works as a school principal, very much in a position of leadership herself. When asked about a time when someone was a positive leader in her life, Stephanie says something that I find quite prolific to start out her story. She says, a leader's job is to share their calm, not join the chaos. Love it. Love it. Just let that marinate for a second. Okay, here's her story. Every once in a while, when I least expected it, and perhaps when I needed it the most, my superintendent would deliver a chocolate milkshake to my office, along with one for the secretary and the bookkeeper. Upon first glance, this seems like something so small and so simple, but I learned five important lessons from this small act. One, surprise gestures of thoughtfulness do not have to be large, elaborate, or expensive. Two, one simple thing can foster and promote a positive culture and climate. Yeah. Three, when you show that you genuinely value others, everyone feels more inclined to roll up their sleeves and dive into the hard work. Absolutely. Four, building relationships is the single most important job of a leader. Love that. Totally agree. And five, work for a leader who delivers chocolate milkshakes. Sign me up. <laughs> I could not agree more, Steph. And thank you for sharing. We're going to see if we can get Stephanie on maybe around Mother's Day next month to just take this leadership discussion more specifically in the direction of education and in parenting. little teaser there for you. But this actually ties into another question that I asked y'all and that was to rate a list of things in order of importance to you in regards to work. I phrased the question like this. So assume that you are making enough money to pay for necessary expenses. Rate in order of importance to you. A, a positive work environment. B, contributing to a team or effort. C, higher pay or supplemental income. D, an ideal schedule or schedule flexibility, and E, opportunity for growth or a resume builder. So I asked to rank those five things in order of importance to you. Every single person who responded to this chose A, a positive work environment, as the most important thing on this list to them. C, which was higher pay or supplemental income, was ranked third, mostly fourth, and even fifth by some of you. I share this because it just further adds to the conversation around the importance of 
culture, and vibes in any environment. And leaders in the workplace have a huge impact on that. Stephanie's story was just one great example. So I've told you that I've read my fair share of books on leadership, and there are many good ones out there. But I do want to quickly touch on one of my favorites that I would truly recommend to just about anyone and everyone. Actually, yeah, anyone and everyone. It's for you. The book is by Martin Rooney, and it's titled Coach to Coach. I've actually gifted this book to a handful of people. So if you are a leader, whether that is as a parent, a teacher, a coworker, you are also a coach. Yeah, and, and this book is for you. This book is full of epic one-line takeaways, like those little golden nuggets, but more importantly, full of stories that are going to help you understand and apply those principles. So while I'm going to share with you a few of the principles that I really love from this book, please do yourself a favor and read it or listen to it. The audiobook version is great. That is my preferred method of consuming books these days. And you know, I'm going to drop it in the show notes for you. But in this book, a good coach is defined as being someone who takes you where you want to go that you cannot get to yourself. This definition is choiceful and important and well laid out in the context of the book because many people can take us somewhere, but maybe not always where we specifically want to go. (laughs) And if we could get there ourselves, well then, who needs a coach? Very rarely can we get to where we really want to be or reach our full potential alone. The book outlines the importance and effectiveness of a good coach. A good coach is someone who is going to be more enthusiastic about someone other than themselves. So being more enthusiastic about someone other than yourself. And maybe my favorite point is that good coaching is all about understanding how the person that you are coaching wants to be treated. And that's just like a principle in life that I was ingrained in me like so early on, really from my dad more than anyone, who just led by example in modeling the importance of the ability to to not just interact but get along with all different types of people. So here's where those soft skills really come into play, huh? Yeah, it's not all black and white. We all have examples of good coaches and bad coaches in our lives, if we take a second to think about it. I'm sure some can come to mind. (laughs) So for me, I'll share a quick example of each for reference. When I was in high school, I was in the drumline in the marching band. So we had a drumline coach who was a very talented and accomplished drummer himself, but his coaching style was very negative. His thought process was that it's, it's honestly similar with a lot of coaches. I'm sure you can relate. He thought that by beating us down and making us mad, we would get angry and perform better. I feel like this is like a common practice in sports. This is where we find those fans that get off on being like, suck it up, tough it out. Like, I had to go through hell playing high school football. There's a great example in the first couple chapters of the Coach to Coach book where the team loses a game and 
they are then punished the next day at practice with ridiculously difficult drills that not only beat them down even more physically, not great, why, but of course, mentally as well. I No benefit for anyone ever. But it's a style of coaching <laughs> that you see uh, even with like trainers or even in some group fitness environments where the coach is like putting you down or insinuating that you're lazy or you don't want it enough or whatever. Like I honestly don't even want to verbalize some of the stuff that I've heard over the years because I just think it is so ineffective and ridiculous. And this is just not something that I ever respond to. If you beat me down and you try to make me mad, I will shut down. And I think a large majority of us operate that way. I'm going to go as far to say that I think that it is a healthy response to that kind of situation. We don't need coaches to belittle us or destroy our confidence. Not helpful. Not helpful to most of us in the moment and certainly not helpful in the long run, right? Now, on the other hand, I would say that the best example of coaches in my life have been my parents. And when I really thought about what made them such positive and impactful leaders and coaches to me, I thought of all of those same words that we mentioned earlier. They were transparent, trustworthy, integral. They listened. They shared. That communication piece was always a foundation of our relationship. As I mentioned earlier about my dad, but also about my mom, they led by example. The best companies, the best organizations, the best teams are leader-led. Maybe you've seen this graphic. I'll have to post it on social media in regards to this episode, but it is a picture of like a little cartoon sketch of like a manager versus a leader. And the manager is like sitting on the high horse, like sitting up in his tower, looking down, just giving orders and looking at everyone else in front of him to do the work where the leader is in front pulling everybody else, like leading the charge with everyone else behind them. And that's just a very good visual representation of of good leadership. It's actually funny that this is kind of coming up here because in the episode with the Brewers Babes, we talked about when we were putting the coaches head-to-head that you know Craig Council was a longtime, very successful Major League Baseball player, and he is the most tenured manager in the major leagues. And I love Craig Council. I think he's got great vibes. I think there's a reason why he's the longest tenured and most winningest manager in that franchise. And on the flip side, Ollie Marmol was never a Major League Baseball player. And you know, I was trying to pull out pulling out for the Cardinals here and saying, like he just knew he was supposed to be a coach. He went on to fulfill his destiny and just really commit to that. But ultimately, our arbitrators decided that, you know, there was more value in the leader who had been in the shoes of the people that he was leading. And I I cannot disagree with that even for a second. I would never ask anyone that I'm leading to do something that I haven't done myself. And I absolutely agree with what one of our arbitrators, Meredith, said that she has like the utmost respect for the people who have been in the position that she is currently in who are leading from experience. So, you know, that's big. But in regards to, you know, my parents as leaders being great examples of coaches in my life, like obviously it 
wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. They gave me the tough love when I needed it at the appropriate time. And that's certainly all part of being a great coach as well. So this feels like a good time to clarify another thing. I am someone who is huge on accountability. And I am someone who has very high expectations for myself and therefore for others as well. I actually have to check myself on that as I do think that I often have too high of expectations overall. Accountability, again, a subtopic. We could go off and have a whole separate podcast just on that. But a whole other layer of being a great coach is meeting people where they are at. How else can you get them where they want to go? But another gray area, right? So while I firmly believe that expectations, for example, in the workplace, have to be upheld the same for everyone by a good leader, I also believe that that doesn't necessarily look the same for everyone, that there is some gray area there. Another discretion or soft skill to be understood and upheld by a good leader and a coach. It's hard to teach. It's hard to even articulate. But, you know, for example, do you uphold the same standard in running the bases for a player when the grass is wet and the player has a very recent history of multiple hamstring injuries that has kept them out half the season last year, whose focus is on, yes, winning the game and giving their best effort always, but also on, you know, staying healthy and effective to win many games and continue to give their best effort. Just saying. Just just saying that could be an example. Trust me, I am not a participation trophy kind of gal. I think this is a good time for a little side note here that a point to be made about Tyler O'Neill and professional athletes in general, but like specifically, let's just talk about him because we're talking about him. He is going to reach free agency at the end of next season. These are pivotal years in establishing his market value before he hits free agency. He's also a Scott Boris client. So you know the pressure is on from every angle for him as much as it is for Ollie Marmol or any other guy out there that is trying to stay at the major league level. Case and point with Carlos Correa this offseason, health is going to be a huge indicator of your market value. Mm. Okay, and side note. There are a lot of important principles that have to be in place to effectively uphold expectations as a leader. So when they are not upheld, the first thing that a good leader does is ask themselves if their expectations were clear. Then, how could they have more effectively communicated those expectations and how they can help their team meet and exceed those expectations by their own actions and initiatives. I also firmly believe that taking responsibility is a huge part of being an effective leader and that taking responsibility is not at all the same thing as taking the blame or accepting fault. So the other thing that I'm not really here to debate in any way is Tyler O'Neill's actual speed or even really his effort level base running anything like that, on the basis situation at hand, don't want to talk about it. That is not for us to decide. And quite honestly, it is of little to no importance to how things actually shake out here and the the damaging vibes that have ensued. So here we are talking about the qualities and actions of a good leader and coach. 
would you feel like you can trust someone who throws you under the bus on live television? And then they continue to do so to the media for days on end. Another pivotal point of discussion in the Coach to Coach book is around the effectiveness of praising in public and criticizing in private. So what good does it do for anyone or anything? Like what purpose does it serve to call out a player publicly in this or really any scenario? There, there is not a reason. There is not a reason that that should be done like ever. There is zero benefit to the way that Ollie Marmel handled this scenario for Tyler O'Neill, And even more importantly, for the team as a whole. I have seen a lot of continued coverage around Ollie saying things that he likes Tyler. He actually thinks he's one of the most talented guys on the team. But he says that there's a next level to his career and his job as a manager is to get him to that next level. Okay, fine. But you know, like that reminded me of my drumline coach. Thinking that making me mad would somehow get something better out of me when it just made me fake sick to go home early or like consider joining the color guard. Mm-hmm. Ollie also said more to the media about there being a difference between holding a grudge and holding someone accountable. So that's what we started to talk about accountability, right? Again, I'm going to tell you I am all for accountability, but that is not the way to do it. You guys, this episode is already way longer than I intended for it to be, and I could continue to elaborate on every piece of this topic that we have touched on today, so I am excited to continue to dive into it further with you from different angles and around more than just this instance between Marmol and O'Neal. So I thank them for sparking this topic of discussion that I am very passionate about, and I think there's a lot of good like subtopics around But my main point in starting this discussion around this instance today is to say that yes, I absolutely do think that this whole situation has played into the Cardinals' rough start to the season. I almost didn't want to talk about it or reference it because I definitely got to a point where I was like sick of consuming the coverage of it, and I'm sure you can relate. But this was an angle that I had really not heard about it from yet and you know our our writers that we love at the athletic and the post dispatch and all the great coverage that they provide like this is not their shtick right it's not their job to give their opinion on ollie's leadership so i'll make that my job okay (laughs) but no do i think that this squabble is the only reason that they lost five of the last six games of course not But it is a factor, and it's a factor that matters, big time. I do think that Ollie Marmel's number one job in this day and age of the Major League Baseball manager is to build relationships, to build and maintain a culture within the clubhouse, and to be the best coach who gets his players and his team from where they are to where they want to be in a way that they could not get there on their own. That's vibes in the clubhouse, baby. Do I think that that's an easy task? Absolutely not. Simple, perhaps, but not easy. The only other thing that I want to make sure that I get in here is that I did feel 
that Tyler O'Neill handled this as well as he really could have. I cannot imagine being put in that position and not allowing emotions, ego, all of it to just really get the best of you. So overall, I felt he was very calm, collected, very articulate in a direct but respectful way. And that's the thing that I've actually told you before that I really love about Ollie Marmol. I do love how direct and straightforward he is. And I think that's something that in general, a lot of the fan base has appreciated. So that is not at all what I am calling out here whatsoever. But I think that's an equally important part of good leadership, as we've discussed with transparency. But he took it to a negative extreme. And he broke a lot of the other boundaries of upholding integrity, trust, appreciation, and that all-important taking responsibility for his team. All right, I got to put this topic to bed for now because I'm about to make this episode nine hours long. Always leave them wanting more. Isn't that what they say? Well, you know we here at Peace, Love, and Baseball like to provide solutions. And one solution to bad vibes, other than, you know, focusing on good leadership and all the stuff I just told you that I was going to stop talking about for now, is something that we're also familiar with as Cardinals fans. Yeah, that is the power of sage. Yes. Well, if you're not familiar, I'll catch you up real quick. And that all you really need to know is that last year during a bit of a midseason slump, Cardinals starting pitcher Miles Michaelis took to burning the aromatic evergreen shrub known as sage in the outfield at Bush Stadium. It was sort of a cleansing ritual. Well, Miles, if we ever needed a cleanse to cleanse to purify, it's now. Let's reset these vibes, shall we? I realize that I do not know the slightest thing about the history or like the real meaning behind smudging and sage burning. And that is so negligent of me. So I figured it's a good time to make sure that we are all educated and ready to help reset these vibes in whatever way we can for the St. Louis Cardinals. So I'm just going to give you the basics here. This is from Kripalu.org, which is an organization that has worked with indigenous elders for decades. I'm going to drop that in the show notes for your reference. But here's the down low on sage and smudging with sage so that we, we know what we're doing, right? That's important. So for thousands of years, incense and smoke have been used in spiritual and religious settings to connect with the spirit realm. Incense is still used today in the Roman Catholic Church. You might have seen it. And other religions as well for purification. That is the purpose behind it. So native elders teach that the smoke of dried sage clears negative energy and restores harmony. Restores those vibes. That's what we need. The smoke created by smudging connects our physical plane to the realm of the sacred and opens the portal to the world of subtle spiritual energies. We are also connecting with thousands of years of prayer and ceremony when we smudge with the sage. Smoke from smudging can also carry up our prayers to the great spirit. There's actually research on smudging. So this is interesting. I definitely did not realize this. So there's actual research that reveals that smudging with sage works as an antiseptic. A study published in the Journal of Anthopharmacology. That's a scarier looking word than it actually is. 
A study published in the Journal of Entopharmacology in 2007 found a 94% reduction in the bacterial count of a room that had been treated for one hour by smudging with medicinal herbs like sage. What? So one hour is a long time to be smudging, but it's good to know that it brings, you know, reduction of actual bacteria. So don't set off your smoke detectors. But wow, that's cool. Once again, our native elders understand both the spiritual and physical realms better than us modern men. I absolutely believe that. It gives us a few instances here where it would be appropriate and helpful to use sage. You could smudge yourself off with sage when you get home from work each day or when you've had an upsetting incident. Hopefully not when you're returning home from work each day are you returning from an upsetting incident. That's my hope for you. Uh, You might also smudge the participants at the beginning of a meeting or a ceremony in order to help everyone become centered and present. So maybe Miles has been doing it in a clubhouse. You know, we don't know. And you can also use it to clear an area where there's been an upset by burning sage, which I think is what we very much saw Mr. Michaelis doing out there for us in the outfield last season. Yep. Yep. All right, Miles, I'm in. I'm ready to burn the sage. I think I can really contribute this time. Also, this just in from the Cardinals pregame tonight that the team has collectively decided that the pepper grinder is back. Yeah. You know, we got to get back to that grind mentality. Sounds about right. Burn the sage, grind the pepper, and for Ollie's sake, you better give it your best hustle this week, my friends. Make sure that you are following and subscribe to Peace, Love, and Baseball on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Give it a nice little five stars if you'd be so kind. Leave a review and help us spread the good word and all the good vibes here at Peace, Love, and Baseball. <laughs>